This is episode 20 with Iron Man great Trevor Hendy. Welcome back to Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. We're up to episode 20, and we've got Iron Man great Trevor Hendy. Trev's, you know, someone that when I was growing up, I loved watching him on TV during all the Iron Man series. He's a great athlete, and his transition away from sport has actually been fantastic as well. Away from sport now, he's he's well into his wellness. He's a life coach, mentor author, and also personal trainer. So in terms of trying to take all the things that he's learned and trying to educate a big mass of people, Trez definitely headed in the right direction. And it's great to see him bounce back, you know, for all his success. It hasn't always just been one-way traffic. You know, he's he's had his own public, you know, battles in 2000. He went, he went bankrupt. So for him to bounce back from that, learn from it, and then also be able to help others in, you know, both fitness, health, and especially in mindset. You know, it's great to see. And he's a great chat. He's He actually said when we were chatting about when we were setting up the interview that originally the interview might have only was going to go for about 20 minutes. But Trev loves to talk, and I actually loved just listening to him because there was just plenty of perspective and just plenty of just plenty of ways to learn from Trev and there's just ways that you can just, just little things you can apply to your everyday life. So that's what I really, really like about Trevor Hendy. Before we get Trev on the show, just a big thank you for everyone that subscribed and left five-star reviews on iTunes. If you haven't yet, that's the best way to help me grow is to just quickly log on to your iTunes podcast account. Just search Talking With TK and there's a little review section there that you can leave whatever you think about the show. You know, like I said, if you can leave it, it just helps me grow in the rankings and I can just touch more people and that just helps me bring on the great guests that I've had on so far. But without further ado, here is Trevor Hendy. Trevor Hendy. Trevor was an elite Ironman winning several world championships while also winning six Australian championships and four Uncle Topi's Super Series. He now does some amazing work in wellness. He's a life coach, mentor, author, and holistic personal trainer. I welcome the man, Trevor Hendy. Trevor, welcome to the show. <laughs> thanks, Tristan. Yeah, thanks, mate. It was a good rap. Thank yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, it's an absolute pleasure, mate. What I want to kick off with first, I spent a lot of time on your website over the last couple of days. I actually really love the blogs. I was going to say, bring some of those back, mate. Like, I know that you got a little bit concerned at the start of your paragraphs. You'd say, I'm going to say a little story that's going to go for a long, long time or something like that. But I actually think they're really, really good. But let's kick off with the boot camp for the soul. Tell us a little bit about it, how you started it, and your intention behind it all. Yeah, it's a a really great question. Probably summarizes a lot of things in my life right now, mate. Um, 
I think uh, over many years of being successful in sport, it's like a very, very much a mind-body undertaking sport. You know, you get a stronger mind, you're determined someone's made you feel small at some stage and you want to beat them and make them feel small. You know, you want to be the big one, the big block sort of thing. So very mind, body, mind, body, mind, body. So over a long period of time, um, when you're training and you're really concentrating on your stroke and your technique and you're really – there's this thing in sport we call the zone, right, which is every now and then you go into this magical place where I call it effortless effort where all of a sudden – you're trying harder, but you're so in sync and everything's so coordinated that you go to this space or this place where everything becomes effortless. Yeah. And you actually can faster, hold it for longer, and it's like everything height, you know, heightens your senses, the your connection to the water, everything's a, it's like a heightened experience. Yeah. I think that we were ocean land men, got that experience quite hot because it's not really you versus the other person. So when you're really focused on what you can do and what you can control and the ocean's forcing you to get into a rhythm, you start actually getting forced to become more of uh, – you've got to have more flow than you have force. You know, yeah. the, the situation makes you flow more than force it. And when you force it, it stops you in your tracks, you get smashed by a wave, you get washed, you lose your scare, you're bored, someone comes from behind. It's almost like the harder you try, the harder it gets. Yeah. So – it's about how to try hard and actually find the flow and the rhythm and the connection. So I had those experiences. They're almost like a dichotomy of experiences where I'm creating this incredible flow, but it's all about winning yeah. people. So I had incredible sporting experiences, almost like I was gathering or building another persona from a young age. Be the bulletproof guy that can't be bullied, that can't be pushed around, that won't feel small like at the club in the early days or at school when I'm pushed around. Or, yeah. You know, so I became the guy, man, you know, and I'm winning all these things and everyone's saying you're a superhero and you've won this and you've won that. Which basically creates this thing in your mind. It's like you, there's another version of yourself that's getting stronger and stronger and more yeah. accolades and acknowledgement and recognition. And after a period of time, it's almost like, that version of you or me, that version of me was taking over my life. So then all of a sudden, you can't run relationships like that. You can't have a conversation with your wife from the place of I'm a superior being. Yeah. You know, you can't, re- you know, you can't, this sort of, even though I always had a humble exterior and I was always the last, you know, I love people and that's my true nature. I was building this part of me that's pretty fond of myself, you yeah. know. And it was clearly an ego and it's clearly a destructive thing and everything else. So I went through a period of change where my body was collapsing, I wasn't getting the results I needed, and I met I'd met the best psychologists and the best psychiatrists, the best sports doctors, the best people in the Western world. Yeah. But it was all falling apart. I was on antibiotics, anti-inflammatories, I was icing myself, you know, thinking positive and all that. And then someone suggested to me that there was another world, you know, that I wasn't attending to, call it the spiritual world, call it the feeling world, call it the emotional world, call it the, you know, deeper world of what you really think, what you're really feeling, you know, below what you're telling everybody. How old were you at that stage? Uh, I'm talking, there's a John Denver song, Rocky Mountain High, I was born in the summer of his 27th year, (laughs) you know, and I just think, I hear that song, I go, oh my God, that was me, you know. Um, coming home to a place he'd never been before, you know, like it was, it's like I had this epiphany of experiences and met these amazing people at 26 years of age in my 27th year. Just opened my whole mind and life to 
there's more than just mind and body. Now, the space of soul or spirit is largely normally owned by religion or it's owned by new age. You know, so people are surrounding yourself in white light or it's told to you by old science that it doesn't exist. So the whole, the whole soul thing is not something that the average person has a relationship with, you yeah. know, the idea of who am I as, as a being, you know. So I met these incredibly beautiful people and started working with them and everything that I was struggling with changed. I've corrected my shoulder stuff. I got rid of tendonitis. My hip came right. I had health. I was healthier. I sorted out my relationships. I won races easy. I broke all records the next year. I had eight international races. I got eight, uh, ten international races and I got eight first and second places. Wow. And I trucked less. Records that have never been broken since, like that consistency. And I wasn't trying to beat anybody. I wasn't trying to win. I was just out there actually being the best I could be and going as fast as I could go and going, oh, my God, I'm going faster. Yeah. Like this incredible experience and I all that, that drama and the hassles and all those things that I went through. I went through bankruptcy in the year 2000, yeah, yeah. you know, and I, um, I'm like, wow, I was, I was like, I could do things in the water but I was like a fish out of water elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I met these people, they weren't about teaching me things or about actually helping me kind of uncover stuff that we already spiritually or innately know, and that is that, oh, I care about people. Oh, you know, if I good, put good things in, I get good things out. You know, start uncovering these simple principles. So as I pursued that path a little bit further, I had some incredible wins, incredible breakthroughs. I was in love with life again. I was letting people know that I'd screwed up this and screwed up that. I was able to be honest and, you know, and I was I, I began to break down the ego and kind of, you know, become more of myself and less of the, the persona that I wanted to present to the world. Yeah. And it's amazing how much the life got and how much simpler it was and how I didn't need all these plans to make me happy. I was just actually enjoying the flow and, and here we go, enjoying the moment. All of a sudden I got rid of this baggage and I was back in the moment, which is why I started in the first place because yeah. I was a kid that loved being in the ocean. So long story short, this is the short part of it, Years later, after many years of helping other people do the same, done thousands of hours of one-on-one work with people, I was presented to big organisations and groups and everything. Yeah. And I went, wow, whenever I work with someone, I'm able to pass on what someone else is able to pass on to me. So it's not me doing it. But, wow, once you know it well enough, you can help someone else discover it in themselves. And so having this great impact, and I'm proud of that, and I'm enjoying it, but at 10 o'clock at night, I'm still doing sessions with people trying to save the world for everything else. And, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh, wow. And people are booking in all, all word of mouth and, and everything. So I'm so busy, I'm starting to go, hang on, I'm not seeing my family. You know, I'm not seeing my friends as much. And I'm on this mission, which I'm loving, and I'm sharing this journey and everything. But I kind of went, hey, well, hang on a second. Is there a way that I could share these principles? But what, they unravel the same in every person. So the way I'm doing sessions with other people and we're done with me, could I share these principles in a format, in a course, yeah. in an online course? that people could get the answers to them anyway. So so I went, I had all this resistance to it, and then I realised, no, it can be done. Absolutely, it needs to be done. I need to share what I know. I don't need to hold it back and give it to one person and charge them and all this stuff. Let, yeah. Let's spread around. So my realisation when I was writing the course was, what the summary of it? And I went, well, life teaches us to be more open, to be more powerful, to be more loving, to be more connected. You know, it's like a giant boot camp for our soul. 
And I went, oh, there it is. It's a boot camp for your soul. And, um, and that's what the course became. So I, I wrote a 12-week course. It's 156 emails and processes over 12 weeks, six days a week, morning and night, yep. to be done in someone's own home. And it's a boot camp for your soul. So every day you wake up and you listen to another viewpoint and you, you can read it or listen to it on audio files and you're like, oh, wow, that's so true. Yeah. It unravels the same brick when I get crazy beautiful emails. One guy sent me an email saying, um, mate, you, I've got to thank you. You saved my marriage, my relation, my wife and I have never been happier. Wow. She's, you, she's having a blissful life. I've found my purpose and everything. And the crazy thing about the story is I didn't do the course. She did, <laughs> you know. And uh, so it's, it doesn't matter who does it, it has a bit of a filtered effect. And as I said, it's not something magical I've created, it's something that was passed on to me. Principles, I've just found my way of putting it into my words and, and shared with people. And probably my proudest work because um, I know that it just sits out there and ticks away and people get some great results out of it. Yeah, Trev, you know, for everything in hindsight, you're looking at your, your career, you know, you're one of the best Ironman that ever came out of Australia. But looking at everything you're achieving now away from sports, do you think your true purpose is now what you're doing right now? Oh, oh mate, well, great question and absolutely, without a doubt. Everything else has been a stepping stone. To, it's wonderful to win things because you get to believe that it's possible and you know that, that the human being is an amazing faculty. You know, our mind, body, soul put together can do some incredible things. Yeah. That's great. It's a great thing to know that everyone wants to have a win and feel like they've got some free air around them and they're free. And that's, uh, you know, continuously always pushing towards more personal freedom and in the bigger pictures that I move into. But there's something altogether different and powerful and amazing about having one other person have the same experience. Yeah. And putting that into two other people and three other people and maybe 10 people in a room, 20 in 100, you know, it's it's like the one's an ambition and the other one's a purpose, you know. And I love Eckhart Tolle's work who, you know, Eckhart Tolle wrote The Power yeah, of Now. I just read it. My, one, of my, yeah. one of my friends just gave me his book. It was quite incredible. Yeah, beautiful. I mean, uh, they asked Oprah Winfrey if, if we all had to leave the planet in a hurry in a spaceship and you had to choose the one book you take with us, what would you take? And she said, The Power of Now by oh, Eckhart wow. Tolle. It's so easy but to read so too. Cool. It's like the pages are small, the writing's big, and it's just meaningful every page. The Power of Now and then later he wrote A New Earth, which is brilliant too. But he, you know, he would often um, talk about our primary purpose is in his words, he would say, to know yourself as source. What does that yeah. mean? It basically means spiritually we are all very connected. Religion does this wonderful job of dividing us. Nothing wrong with what's being said in most in the most parts of it. There's the core of what's behind religions and what's behind all these great cultures and everything else. Yeah. There's this mixed messages that go there that divide us. And actually there's incredible truth in all of us that, that united. Humanity is an incredibly powerful force. And we don't need to be controlled by a few people running the reserve banks of different countries and everything else and feeding us football and beer and saying as long as they've got that, they'll be happy. You know, human beings are very, very powerful. So I kind of recognise that primary purpose is to know yourself as capable and to know yourself as loving and peaceful and to know yourself as that, that um, I suppose, that loving presence. Yeah. And a secondary purpose is then to do something with it. So while I was being um, passionate and powerful and, and as peaceful as I could be in Ironman racing, I was teaching people to chase their goals and their dreams, which is a wonderful start. Yeah. But um, 
but I wasn't able to say to people, "Wow, no, you can change anything. You can you you can change your health around. You can clear anything." And so that that feeling now is like I feel like I've kind of reverse parked into my purpose. It's not like an ambition. I don't set a goals that I want to achieve. I can still throw goals on at any time. Yeah. More about I almost feel it sounds weird, a little bit dicky. I almost feel more like the um, I call it life. I'm not religious, so I call it life, and I just have this feeling that life has a plan for each of us. Yeah. And I feel that feeling that it's like, you know, I feel called to do certain things. When I follow that intuition or that gut feeling to go a certain way, it always ends up so magical. But this bloody thing, this mind, which is powerful, and there's a great saying, the mind is a, a wonderful servant but a terrible master. You know, so... When we're in control of it, it's a wonderful thing. We can use the, that power of determination. But when we're fearful of something, vulnerability, or we've had a previous negative experience and we're avoid, unconsciously unknowingly avoiding it, last time it was vulnerable, I got humiliated, or last time I told yeah. the truth, it was against me. Or you know, So we avoid these powerful growth moments that are boot camp for our soul moments, mm. and we avoid them. And we never get to get into our spirit flow to more of who we are, what we're really here to do. What's it teaching me? It's okay. Don't worry about it. The only thing that's, in most cases, as long as you keep yourself pretty straight and narrow and look after yourself, it's not really you that's going to die. It's only the ego. <laughs> you know, Your pride and your ego and your heart might break every now and then, but it only breaks the, breaks the crust off around the outside and eventually it opens back up. So yeah. you know, you know, these days it's more about moving forward fearlessly talking to people and, and speaking the truth and seeing what comes out of it and, and living with a little bit of courage, yeah. you know, which is what I started with, but it's done full circle back to being a peaceful, almost hippie type, actually speaking some truth and giving people the shits and going, nah, can change this. Oh, what do you mean? <laughs> Guys, we hope you're enjoying the episode with Trevor Handy. If you haven't yet, our latest episode was with Carmichael Hunt. Here's a little snippet of our chat. Yeah, and what about someone like Wayne Bennett? And obviously, he had a huge influence on you. He chose you at 17. Have you ever had a chance to ask Wayne exactly what he saw in you at such a young age? No, I actually haven't uh, had the chance to ask that question. I'm not sure I'd probably ask it, but it's, it's a pretty interesting <laughs> one. Uh, maybe if I sort of run in on my game, uh, I might be able to throw that towards him. But, oh, you now Wayne's been a huge influence for me. Um, you know, he... he, he he was pretty much the second father for me as a 17 year old yeah. just sort of helping, helping me helping me navigate through you know all the uh, the pats on the backs uh, the criticism at, at, at the age of 17 um, in the sporting world there was quite a lot on my plate and he was such a huge influence and a uh, fantastic guy for me then you obviously signed with the Suns why was the, what was the biggest reasons for you to take that challenge on well, it's just a you know a change of scenery, first and foremost, a new challenge. Um, you know, I've been playing league since I was four years old, uh, pretty seriously. Yeah. Um, you know, debuted at seventeen, sort of managed to experience all of that. I had you know all I wanted to experience. I managed to play in a grand final, play Origin, play Test footy. So you know, this fantastic opportunity came up to sort of test my wares or you know see how far I could push my body in a completely foreign sport. Um, I said, why not? Like, I've always loved living life on the edge. It's got me in trouble quite a few times, but, uh, you know, that's, that's where, um, 
that's where the most growth has come for me as a player and as a person. Um, so that was pretty much, um, you know, it was a dream come true to be able to get that opportunity and just, um, you know, to see where I could go with it. So that was probably, you know, that's probably the reason there. So go back and check out all the old episodes. We've got a whole backlog of great guests, including the likes of Kieran Perkins, Paul Wade, Michael Klim, Robbie Madison, and Mark Ocalupo. So plenty there for you guys to check out. If you want to get in touch with me, best way is email tristan at talkingwithtk.com. But for now, let's get back to the show. We do have negative moments. You know, we always have it. You know, we have bad days and... Things always happen. Like you spoke before, you have broken hearts. You might have bad business things. If that was to happen and in your actual course, do you teach people certain scenarios or maybe a step one on how to deal with it? Yeah, what I do is in the course, it's imagine it like this. It's almost like every person, it's just a viewpoint. These are just viewpoints, obviously, but see, for everyone listening, just see if kids are right. There's more... There's more common stuff going on amongst all of us than we realise. We're pretty much divided and competing with each other. You know, we don't realise that we've got the resources to share with each other, to not need Big Brother or need anyone else. We can we can do this together. Yeah. So we're in little silos where we think the other person's out to get us. And, you know, sometimes we need to compete all that time. It's not right or wrong. But what's happening is um, our mind is literally creating partitions between us and the stuff that would, would help us. So all I've really done is said, okay, I've painted a few viewpoints at the start about how magical human beings are, Yeah. how powerful this moment is, how powerful if we get out of the thinking mode, if we just slow down and sink into the world and start feeling again, stop trying to fix everything, stop trying to change everything, don't throw your goal out, just don't so try so hard to get to, just for five minutes, you know. And if we can slow down, it's like a speedboat going across the, the surface of a lake. Yeah. We can drive around that lake full speed for as long as we want, but we can't claim we know the lake. You know, I've been all over it. Yeah, I know that lake. I've, I know it back to front. Mm. You can't really know it until you take the, the hand off the accelerator and there's a speedboat stop skimming and the power stops pushing it forward, which is the motivation to get somewhere in the future yeah. to avoid something in the past. As we slow down, what happens is the boat comes to a stop. You, you, you've seen them before. What, they stop skimming on the surface. And they just stop and they sink in, tail first and then nose down. Mm. And it sinks into the water. And immediately we're already having a deeper experience than when we're flopping around. We just stop there, throw the anchor over the side and spend some moments in the middle of that lake. All of a sudden fish start popping, insects start popping up, birds fly past. We look down, we see the depth of the water. And if we're brave enough, we might even climb over and swim underneath the boat and have a look around what's at the bottom of it. Yeah. But it's to where still and we slow down that we get to experience the other half of life so if the if the body and the physical resources of the world our, our you know my my body my money my car my you know my investment property my jewelry my electronics uh, even my my relationship my titles you know my my after my name that's the physical existence yeah and the world says more of that fix you Right, that's only half the experience. And every time we try and go, and what do we really want? We really want to feel, when you ask someone why do they want the house? Well, when I grew up, I didn't have that type of house and I want my kids. So why do you want the house? Because I want my kids to feel safe. So why do you want them to feel safe? Because I want to 
have a safe place to go to and believe in themselves. You know, so why is that important to you? I've never really had that. So you just keep asking them the same thing. So, so why really then? Wow, I want safety connection for my kids, and I want them to know that they're capable of anything. Yeah. And I believe that if I can look up, they'll get that. So that's a different story to brick and mortar. You know, so yeah. the same reason for cars, relationships, money, everything else. It's always a non-physical reason that we really want it. And if we get past the ego, well, I want it to make me look good. Well, but why do you want to look good? You know, I want that new phone. Ah, because that's, they've got it, you know. So why do you want it? Why, why, why do you want it then? Well, because they've got it because I feel like I'm not good enough unless I have one too. So why do you want that? I just want to feel good enough about myself. Okay. So you feel good enough. Why, why do you want to feel good enough? Um, oh, I just want to know that I'm, I'm okay and I can rest for a few moments and I can relax and just be myself and not feel like I have to compete. Yeah. Well, so why do I want the phone then? Because I'm just doing, you know, so when you ask the question, it always comes over to a non-physical place. And yeah. so call it physical world of non-physical world. I call it like salt and pepper. Pepper is the P, which is the physical, and the salt is actually the S, which is the spiritual. Yeah. If spiritual, get, forget all the previous connotations. It just means the stuff that you can't grab onto. It means the deeper feelings, stuff, the love, connection, everything else. So if you start going towards that, what happens is there's a great gatekeeper between those two worlds because there's nothing wrong with the physical world. We should be able to enjoy it, love it, connect with it, have great relationships, drive great cars. That's all beautiful. Yeah. But it's, we think that stuff is going to satisfy us. We're, we're, going up, we're getting led down the garden path. So the great gatekeeper that stops us from realising it's not the car that I really want, it's the satisfaction or the, or the sense of well-being is the mind, which keeps steering us, the reactive mind, keeps steer, our own ego, keeps going, no, it's the car, you need the car, you'll be nothing without the car, I'll just laugh at you if you turn up in your bike again. Yeah. So the mind just keeps telling us that that's the only answer and it drives us to insanity. So when we, on the boot camp, the soul where people start, I start by getting them to actually say a few things they love about themselves and it's like, what? <laughs> and some other people and everything else and some goals and some things they want to get and then straight away, don't go, right, I'm going to show you the strategy to get it, a 10-point plan. I say, tomorrow I want you to go for a walk and say good morning to a few people. You know, <clears throat> and just getting out, slow down. What's your mind saying about this? And just so you become aware of the mind. And what eventually happens is the strategy is not so much a strategy of I'm going to get something. It's a strategy of how to recognise and release my old reactive, non-productive mind patterns, the deeper beliefs that I can't really have it. And if I do have it, I'll have to sit, I'll have to lose something to get it. And all this stuff is killing it. So it's really actually about uncovering our power to have something yeah. and not feel as though we have to give something away to get it. And that thing that we might want might just be love, peace, joy. It might be a car, it might be a house, it might be a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a husband or a wife or a, a, a better health or whatever it is. They're all actually very, very important things to us. Yeah. We normally operate in the mind and body realm and we miss the heart realm. We don't even tell people how important it is to us. We don't share how I feel gutted and I'm not. That emotion is much closer to actually creating the life if you want, but we avoid all that stuff. So, so the strategy really comes from unpacking the stuff and then people already know what to do about it. Well, I do have other strategies how to go, but, mm. but simple stuff is, no, you know, you've got your own answers. You know how to do this. You yeah. just need to pick all the other crap out of the way 
Trev, you're such a humble dude, man. We've been chatting for about 20 minutes now, and I'm loving all this. You know, you mentioned before in year 2000 you went bankrupt. You know, in terms of a, situ- a situation like that, was yep. that was that a catalyst for exactly where you are now and you exploring ways away from possessions? I, I was really lucky, mate. I, I, I went bankrupt in the year 2000. I began that kind of, let's call it an awakening, you know, let's call it a disturbing old programming. I began that in about 93, 94 with the great chiropractor, the beautiful man that I was working with, and then he sent me down a path of personal development. So that was the major catalyst for the life that I've got now. Mm. What happened was the bankruptcy was almost like the final nail in the coffin of the old life. So for about six or seven years, I was trying to have both. Yeah. You know, and... And you do that, try and outstart the system, even if you realise it's all about love and connection and freedom and everything else. You still try and get a bit of this and get a bit of that, you know. And the bankruptcy came from the stuff that I was still trying to trade my way out of those situations that were created back at that dysfunctional time. So it came from stuff that I was doing in 92, 93, 94, business things that I went into that were retrospectively legislated and were no longer tax deductible. And I just, yeah. you know, John was chasing the carry back to the world and got the Trevor Hendys, you know, that mm. I was following smart advice from accountants and, and it turned out that, uh, well, it was smart advice. It wasn't, uh, it didn't, they didn't have a looking glass into the future because I had to pay all that stuff back with interest and everything else. And, and I'd shifted from Ironman racing to kayaking to just a simple life of trying to help some people and earning 50 bucks an hour yeah. instead of, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a visit sort of thing. And all of a sudden I had $100,000 bills, you know. So um, it was an incredible amount of humble pie. It was the, probably one of the final tastes of humble pie I had to have. There was more after that, but that was one of the bigger chunks of humble pie I had to eat, and I loved it. It was really, really good. And I went on the front foot instead of people just reporting in the media. I was still fairly well known at that time, and I had some great friends and respectful people in the media. Yeah. But I'm going to tell the story and share what I do. So I, pre- I, I announced it myself. Went out, went on John Lawless, and yeah. went on, you know, spent some time with Kenny Sutcliffe, and different interviews, and, and actually spoke about it. Went on the front foot and just said, you know what? I'm not bulletproof. I'm, you know, it's good in the water, but I love lot to learn out of the water. And to be able to tell that story and eat that humble pop, um, that was probably a real catalyst and a cathartic experience for me. Yeah, I actually it sounds bizarre, but I was actually doing an interview in Fox Studios with John Lords, and I was having like an out of body experience. Well, I, like a weird thing. I don't. I, I sound very spiritual, and I, I've got a very you know clearly I am in a lot of ways, but I don't do a lot of the light stuff and all that sort of stuff. And I had this incredible experience where I have out-of-body experience. I was like literally talking about someone else. Yeah. Bizarre thing, but it was a beautiful experience to have. And I got so much support from those guys. And it kind of taught me that it doesn't matter who you are or what you know, when you be vulnerable and honest with people, they'll go out of their way to help you back up. You know, if you go kicking, you go down kicking and screaming and blaming everybody else, people don't mind you staying down for a while. But I went down taking responsibility and, and there was plenty of hands to help me back up. And it was a you know, it makes me emotional now talking about it because I, I feel as though I had a different experience of the world and I realise there are some amazing people in the country that, that care about people yeah. and they don't tend to want you to lose unless you're being a loser. 
Yeah. I was going to ask you about that, Trev. Like you spoke about people helping you up. Was that the yeah. time in your life when you truly found out who your inner circle was? Oh, absolutely. I did. I had some incredible people around me step up. You know, it's right in the middle when I was in Sydney to do those interviews. I, you know, I was driving my car and I was down at World Championships and I was amongst my life-saving friends and everything else. And that was, yeah. that was a great people to be around. But it was almost like I needed something else or, you know, I just needed to connect out to outside of that group and get a little bit of solace. And I called Kelly Slater, who was a, nice. a very close friend. Yep. We'd worked together and we'd stayed together and you'd come up and stay with me different times on the Gold Coast. And, and he'd been, it was like, I don't know why, but I think it was like he understood, you know, what it was like to kind of bear your soul and, and, you know, for whatever reason, I called him and drove straight to his house in Sydney at the time and hung out with him and a few of his friends. And, and it was so funny you asked that question because it was literally, wow, isn't that interesting that that was, um, I wouldn't spend time with a mate, you know, a mate that understood what yeah. it was like to be known and to go through something like that. He hadn't been through that, but he'd been through major public relationship breakups. Yeah. And, you know, but people like that. There was many people like that that just showed up to be very, very good friends, some of them very well known, that showed, that showed their real human caring face, and some of them that no one would know, just simple, humble people that have been my friends forever that, you know, I hadn't seen for a while, gallivanting around the world, and they were just the first ones to say, hey, mate, you, you need a chat, you know? Yeah. I've got a buddy up here, Vito, who was my best best mate that we had a fishing boat together. It's just a real mixture of people and I just there for you no matter what happens. Where did you first meet Kelly, Trev? I uh, met him in the mid-90s, early 90s, mid-90s, and uh, we'd been destined to meet for a long time. There was a lot of parallels and we kept walking into parties and he just walked out and then eventually came back from somewhere and I'm on the Gold Coast and he was on the Gold Coast and three people rang in one day and gave me his, this is quite kind of the universal life intervening. Yeah. Three people wrote me in one day, friends of mine, and gave me his phone number and said, "You need to catch up with Kelly. He's just arrived." And I'm like, "What, what is going on?" Like, <laughs> met, you know. And so I've got this phone number for someone I had met, and I gave Kelly a call, and I just said, "Hey, mate, it's Trev. Andy. You know, just you're in town. A couple of people passed your number on. You know, I'm around if you if you need someone to show you around, or look after, you or take you to surf somewhere else, or you know, whatever." And he went, "Oh, hey, how are you? You know, like." We knew of each other. Yeah, yeah. He, just said, he said, you know, what are you doing? Do you play golf? And I went, yeah. And he said, what are you doing in half an hour? Are you up for golf? And I went, yeah. And he goes, oh, this is your number? Yeah, I'll call you right back. And it was like that quick. And I called back, called back and said, got a spot for you. And then we were kind of like, it's like meeting an old soulmate. We spent so much time together yeah. after that. We sat in a golf cart together for the day, played golf with himself, myself, um, Oki. Yeah. You know, Oki and, uh, and John Schmuka, nice. old surfer, and uh, four of us. So I got rocked up and, and John and he had this, they got me my golf clubs in the cart next to Kelly and they said, you need to spend time with Kelly. And uh, and they all knew me. They don't know me for a long time. And they're like, you need to spend time with Kelly. And so I, you know, I'm a few years older, three years older, and yeah. uh, it was like an older brother turning up to help him out. We became great mates. We toe surfed together, we took big waves, drove around the oceans together, had lots of laughs, had lots of adventures, but then went on a really deeply personal, you know, journey together and I mm -hmm. sort of um, 
um, helped mentor a guy to look after him through many different phases and stuff. And I was just a few years in front of the process. You know, as I said, I was passing on in the boot camp for the site. I was just passing on something someone had passed on to me. Yeah. And life was making me make sure that I passed it on to that young man. And and uh, he's a, just a, he's a beautiful human being and he, he does everything he can for the planet. He's he's very honest and forthright and he's evolved and evolved and evolved. Broke his foot really badly two days yeah, ago. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. Haven't spoken since, but, uh, but uh, you know, a, a really special example of how we – we might all have an ambition, but at some point in time we discover our purpose. Yeah. And he's a man with a big purpose and something that I hold as a very close friend. And just like all of he's like all of us. He could sit here right now and we'd all have a chat. And it's, there's a lot of people out there that are just normal people that have done some cool things that are just uh, that make the community a bit better when they come back down to earth. Yeah. <laughs> Trevor, it sounds like boot camp for the soul was in progression all these years back. It was like you were literally without even knowing you were testing it on kelly you were testing it on yourself you're probably testing it on heaps of your family and friends and it's all kind of come together now to this finished product that you can kind of bring out to the rest of the world yeah totally and you know there's a whole period through the middle of that where i had no mobile phone no email address early 2000s and (laughs) for three years and i didn't really do it to escape anything i was just so busy doing these incredible sessions and doing this coursework and everything else and people coming from around the world to do these seminars I was helping out with and everything, which don't even exist anymore. Yeah. You know, but this amazing period of time where these people coming around the world and a lot of really, really well-known people and, and, you know, the only reason Kelly comes up in the conversation is we often talk about each other and the effect publicly. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of other incredible people that I worked with. So I was testing it out on major politicians. I was testing it out on on you know priests, on psychologists, on movie stars, on musicians, on sports stars, on leaders of big businesses, of giant business owners, on mums and dads, of yeah. people that struggled with drugs for years and years, and just good hard workers, and you know, and kids, and, and it's the same principles work on absolutely everybody, and that is we've got the truth inside of us. Along the way, from when we were young at a very young age, we've gathered some moss. We've had some negative experiences. Every time something emotionally hurt, our mind comes in and says, I've got the answer for that. We just won't be vulnerable anymore or we won't be truthful or I'll win next time or I'll come more prepared or I'll get more money or I'll come back later when I'm ready. And so we build these plans and these things and these castles in our mind around what we're going to do. And so ultimately someday we're bulletproof instead of actually feeling the vulnerability of the original situation. Yeah. Not dying away from it, opening a heart and just going, oh, well, someone was an arsehole to me. You know, someone got angry with me and someone must have been an arsehole to them and they're just passing it on, you know. But when you get back down down to that simplicity and you get that strength in yourself to be able to just let all that stuff go, Mm. you stop reading things as they come. You don't make assumptions. And I'll give two powerful analogies. One's just an old Hopi Indian saying, and that is you can you cannot know a man until you walk a mile in his moccasins, you know. In other words, you don't know why somebody just chat on you or hurt you or criticised you. You don't know why this person dumped you or why. It hurt. Absolutely, it hurts. Don't put the two together. Don't make they're bad and I'm bad and all this stuff. Work through and process it. And that involves 
being able to talk to someone else. It's not an Australian thing we do. It's not an Australian male thing we do, but it's something yeah. we should do more regularly. We should open up to each other. Part, you know, problem shared is a problem part. So don't, don't assume that you know the person. If, if they've hurt you, they must have been hurt themselves in the first place because, you know, one of my favourite sayings is hurt people hurt people mm. and helped people help people, you know, mm. and we pass on what we experience. The analogy on to you, an old Hopi Indian saying, you don't know if you heard it, about the black wolf and the white wolf. And it goes like this. It's a, a Cherokee grandfather. So it's not Hopi, it's Cherokee. Hopi saying in Cherokee, thank the American Indians for this, but the Cherokee grandfather sends, says to his grandson, um, grandson, inside of every man and woman, there is a white wolf and a black wolf. Yeah. The white wolf is loving, caring, passionate, considerate, flexible. The black wolf is um, vengeful, jealous, fearful, angry, brutal. Um, those two wolves are in a fight to the death. Only one wolf can win the fight, and each man or woman's life is defined by which wolf wins the fight. To which the very key grandson, the granddad, how do we know which wolf is going to win the fight? And says, whichever one you feed. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole point of the thing and everything that I'm saying about the soul and everything else is this mind of ours, this reactive mind, is telling us there's a problem there. It's actually, as soon as it's seen the problem once, it'll see it a hundred more times, even if it's not there. Every time we feel in danger of being dumped, we can't help. So I've done relationship sessions with, you know, men and women yeah. where their relationship's broken apart because the woman had been dumped. And just using this example, and the woman had been dumped and went, well, I'm not going to let him in any, the next one, I won't let him in as far because it hurts too much when they dump me. Mm. So eventually, this relationship, right, right, and then as the woman understands, I'm not going to let him in. He never would have felt safe with me, you know, and they have realisation. Then you go and speak to the man, and he says, so, so what happened? He goes, you know, he said, to talk to each other, he says, well, you never let me in. I didn't think you actually loved me. And he'd been dumped previously by someone who didn't think loved him before. So the same thing just, it's called a self-fulfilling prophecy. Once something's hurt us, it gets in our mind and we begin, what had ever happened? Our mind that pros into an ego says, I've got the answer. We won't do that anymore. Oh, we'll just keep him at arm's length. You know, so our mind has a solution. So it says it has a solution to a problem, which is a heart problem. And what you end up with is more and more of the same problems. In fact, they get worse and worse and worse until you eventually go, I have to tell someone hurt, you know, and yeah. until we learn to let go of it. So my, my great thing is I teach in the boot camp for the softballers. Number one, if something's on repeat, you have to sit down and understand it. You need somebody around you to give you enough safe space as family member, just meditate yourself, it doesn't matter, you know, a counsellor, whatever it is, you need some space to work out what the actual patterns are yeah. and where it's from and what you're feeling. And once you've got that safe space, you need to process it until, one, you feel it to heal it. You have to let go of why you were hurt in the first place and how it felt and why you think it was connected to every man or every woman or, you know, yeah. whatever it is. And then once you've felt it, you can see the mind reveals itself that tried to protect you from it. So you have to see it for it. So number one is you've got to feel it to hit it. 
Number two is you've got to see it free. And back to what Eckhart Tolle said, in, you know, I've heard say recently, he said, is to let go of something that's pestered, that's plagued you for a long time, you first have to experience it fully. <laughs> wow. So why does it keep repeating? Because we have experienced fully. So it keeps repeating to stop and go, all right, I'll let it beat me. I'll let it, I'll let myself feel. People have these five breakdowns and they finally clap out and they finally give up and they finally fall on the ground and they go, I actually feel better. Yeah. I should have done 15 years ago. You know, so what we try and avoid or what we resist persists. And that's, it's a beautiful thing, but it, it just basically says that the heart is the gateway. The emotional stuff is the indication that we're on the right track. Yeah. Go towards the real courageous stuff, you know. For men, be, be a man and have a conversation about your feelings. It's actually not for sorts. It's actually only real have courage to actually talk about what they're feeling. Not many. You know, it's not for pussies. It's actually, it's actually courageous people want to have a crack and, and be honest and vulnerable. Yeah. Trev, how many kids have you got for? Four kids, yeah, two two beautiful, um, you know, marriages that I had. First one collapsed in the middle of all that chaos. Yeah. And, What's uh, the age? Yeah, uh, 20, 29-year-old daughter, Christelle, 22-year-old son, TJ, who's just made it onto the Kellogg's Ironman series oh, last wow. season. Congrats. Um, 19-year-old son, Bailey, who's a really talented young actor, really talented. He's, he's got a little... Silly little program on YouTube called uh, The Dorm Patrol, D-O-R-M. Yeah, check it out. It's hilarious. And, and they all play kind of like themselves, these struggling actors and do all these comedy sketches and stuff. But yeah. Some of it's pretty crude and funny and everything, but he's, he's a, a free spirit, that one. Yeah. And then a 40-year-old daughter, Jarvie, who's, uh, who's just a, is, is brilliant. We actually homeschool her and first the only one of the four, and, and she's, uh, she's doing some amazing things too. Yeah. Have you had any sort of chats like this with your own kids? Oh, totally. My, my wife now, Jo, um, and myself, we sit down with the kids all the time. And yeah. even Jack, my ex-partner, we all get together occasionally, have a big family talk and everything. You know, we're all very open and share it. I have these conversations all the time. We, we talk about what's really going on, what's really happening, and we all have little names for our alter egos. So when our alter ego is starting to present itself, you know, and we're starting to get cranky or blame other people or, you know, everyone's got a little name so we can kind of make it funny and get it back straight away. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, it, it's kind of cute that we can just sort of sit down and say, is that you or is that, you know, is that so-and-so? And I know, and the first thing you usually get, like, it's me, oh, this is how I feel. And, you know, <laughs> so it's just a great fun way just to process things. My kids are pretty, feet on the ground, they're, they're great normal kids, but they're pretty aware young children. Trevor, I didn't even realise we've been chatting for like fifty minutes, man. So I don't, I don't want to hold you up too long. So I just got a couple of personality ones just to wrap up the interview, mate. You're a six-time Australian champion. Did any of the titles mean more than any? Uh, Last World Ironman Championship, I won. I had a a mission the whole time to perfect the Ironman race. I wanted to perfect the Ironman race, and in the UK, nineteen ninety-four, I crossed the line and went, "Oh my god! I just, I think I just perfected the race for me. I did my perfect race, and I knew it was over from that moment. I knew that I'd finished what I started. I perfected the race from my perspective. I won an Ocean Man title in New Zealand in Piha, massive surf." Um, just by being purely connected to my friends and loving being there and didn't even try and win the race and I won it. That was four years later. Mm. Loved that. In 2001, I won a board race after not racing for years. 
um, Australian Championship, and that was all about all about letting go. And then last year, I, my son and I won the Australian Open Book Rescue Championships at the Australian Titles. Wow. He, he was 20 years of age, decided to do it together. We're competing against the best, you know, the X-Diamonds and the, you know, the best board paddlers, the best, you know, Olympic swimmers that are in our sport. And we got fourth, fourth, fourth through all the qualifying rounds, just the final qualifying spot. Into the, we won the semi-final, into the final of eight um, in the centre. And we came from last place and came, came from this tiny little swell that we ran to get run together the whole way. And 22 years, 20 years before that, I was born, I thought to myself that I wasn't the man I really wanted to be. Yeah. And 20 years later, I'm like, who I really want to be for my son. And we had this experience together that was just everyone on the beach was bawling their eyes out. And that's by far and away, the whole surf life-saving world was there. And it was the most humbling experience. And beat any other Ironman or individual victory by far to share it with him but to share it with the whole of Surf Lifesaving and say, look, you can go full circle. You can actually turn yourself around. You can, you know, you can you can turn your life into anything. You can make mistakes and you can come back from it. And I, it's, it's the most proudest, probably one of the most proudest moments of my life other than the birth of my kids and, you know, the relationships and some of the people that I've helped. It's, that experience is incredible. Yeah, true. Do you also coach no, I don't coach him. So he asked me more recently to, to be more and more of a coaching role with him. He, when he first started at 16 years of age, he started very, very late. Yeah. Had a moment where he said, just stop being the world's effing best Ironman and just be my dad. I need a hug. I don't need advice. <laughs> and I stopped right there in that moment and it's been beautiful ever since. And he's got a, a coach, Zane Hamill, up here at Surface Paradise Surf Club. We're doing great things up here and running this whole culture that I'm talking about, running it through all these kids and the nippers and everything. We're having an amazing experience. And so Tej has an incredible coach in Zane. He has Ali Day next to him racing and Max Beattie and some incredible people. And so I don't have to coach. I just keep an eye out, make sure they're all okay and look after him. And and he still lives with us. And when he comes home, he still, you know, gives me a kiss and a hug and it's still, still, you know, um, very, very close. And it's a cool thing. Nice. All right. Trevor, I'm going to take you back to your childhood. Now, what posters did you have on your bedroom wall when you were growing up? What a great question. I had this incredible photo of the widest barrel I'd ever seen and this guy standing in it. I think it was in Indonesia somewhere. And I just didn't know whether I grew up wanting to be in that barrel or I was too scared. Yeah. But that one poster, I loved that. I ended up getting that barrel, not at that place, but somewhere else, and I had that life-defining moment. But I had an Elvis Presley glass mirror on my wall. I loved Elvis Presley. I don't even know why. I cried my eyes out when he died. I don't know why. <laughs> I just grew up listening to his records and everything else, and I, he seemed to sing about, you know, I just loved Did that. Did you go to Graceland? I, I went to Graceland years later. It's beautiful, isn't it? And it was, it was uh, amazing and incredible experience. And so, yeah, Elvis posters, and I think um, what did I have? I think I might have had a Tanya Roberts poster up there at some stage, and she played that one of the girls in the Beastmaster, <laughs> you know, it was like <laughs> the Barbarian and she looked absolutely gorgeous and amazing in some sort of loincloth set up. I think she might have been on my wall for a little while, but, um, but yeah, that, they were the main ones. Okay, I'm going to take you back to the present now, Trev. You're going to be hosting a private dinner party. You've got five yep. invites. Now, only rules, yep. no family or friends, but it can be anyone, dead or alive, who would you like to invite? 
So it was no family or friends. No and family only or friends. But it can be anyone yeah. dead or alive. Okay. Uh, Eckhart Tolle. Yeah, nice. Um, Elvis Presley. Um, gee, you should have let me know this fun first. I could have thought about it a little bit more. Uh, I, you know, I think I'd love to have John F. Kennedy. Yeah. You know, maybe love to have him in a room. Um, you know, Buddha or JC, Buddha or Jesus Christ, one of those. Pick between two, not really, just so either one. They could make out number four and number five. That would be an interesting conversation. Um, you know, and no friends or family. There are friends or family that I put in there. Um, yeah, I think I'm pretty close there. But um, they're the main ones, I reckon. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, Trevor, before I let you leave, I want everyone following Trevor Hendy. You can catch him online at trevorhendy.com. He's soulbootcamp.trevorhendy.com. Twitter is pretty active. He's Hendy Trev. Instagram, also Hendy Trev. And Facebook, Trevor Hendy. Trevor, my man, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm really glad that we got to do this. Man, like, you've actually made my day, so thank you so much. Oh, uh, thanks, mate. And, hey, one other one, I've, and I'm trying to do more of it, is put more videos onto YouTube. YouTube, okay. And- because I'm having amazing experiences and realizations, and I get on and share what what's current at the time. Mm. So I haven't done one for a while, but I was got a, got a few on there. Did some interviews with Pete Evans. I got another chiropractor interview that I did. So it's uh it's just you know, it's just Trevor Hendy on YouTube. I think there's two stations on there, but but that's a cool one for people to listen to. And I'm trying to put more stuff on there. I just want to share what I'm learning. We're all learning great things, so let's share it with each other. Yeah, nice. One. You're a legend. Are Thanks you... for having me, mate. Are... Guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode with Trevor Hendy. We've got, uh, we should have the Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor special out next week. But we've got a whole heap of other guests lined up. Coming up on the show, we've got Australian former cricket, sorry, former Australian cricket coach, John Buchanan. Shane Hill should also be joining us, as well as Andrew Gaze. So plenty of legends there, but there's going to be plenty of current and former players coming on the show in, in the coming weeks. So, it's going to be great to get the different perspectives from both sides. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show via iTunes and please leave me a five-star review. If you want to get in contact with me, best way is Tristan at talkingwithtk.com. Send back through any feedback or any guest requests straight through my email or you can tag me on social media. Just check me out. I'm Tristan Cannell across Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. But until next time, I'm Tristan Cannell. And this was Talking with TK.